0: Welcome and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. This week, we turn to the Book of Romans, as Pastor Ben Hartwig delivers his sermon titled The Glorious Gospel. If you'd like to join us, please turn to chapter 10 in Romans as we look through verses 14-15. through were troubled by all this because today is a very special day today we are sending the this is our send-off service for the Hikies that doesn't mean that this is going to be the last time that they're here okay they uh, will be here Wednesday and they're hoping to be here the last Sunday of the month or they can't be sure about that yet but uh, but this is a very special day because that's what we are doing and so um, I found that out that I was going to probably be and I didn't even know at that time that I was probably going to be preaching Friday um, and uh, then I uh, the first time uh, that uh, that was the first time I found that out. And then uh, Josh and I, what are we going to do? What do we do about this? Because Josh had uh, developed a special sermon for, uh, for this day. And you know, what do we do? And we came to the conclusion that I would preach his sermon. Uh, Now, both of us kind of thought, are we comfortable with that? Um, I've never done that. He's never done that. Um, neither one of us have uh, have done anything like that. But uh, as we talk through it, we recognized that uh, over uh, the years, uh, this has been done before. Uh, sermons have been uh, read. I'm, I hope that this doesn't sound read because whenever somebody just reads you something for this amount of time, it can get uh, kind of weary. Uh, so hopefully uh, this is just not simply read. Uh, but um, anyway, uh, so I say that also, uh, Uh, Please, after the service, don't tell me this is the best sermon you've ever heard me preach. Uh, It may be. That may indeed be the case. Uh, Josh may indeed, after the service, send me a text and say that was the best sermon I've ever heard out of your mouth, um, and again, it may be. But let me say this. Satan hates your guts, okay? And Satan hates me, and Satan hates the hikies and hates what they're doing, okay? And, and he is going to try at every way that he can to foil these things. And so we are going to go on as this was planned with the same message that was planned uh, because evidently maybe there was something there that uh, Satan did not want to come out of Joshua's mouth. Well, uh, it's going to come out of my mouth now. So we will move forward with this. You can be uh, uh, turning to Romans 10 there. We are actually going to go through uh, the first 15 verses, but our focus is going to be on verse 14 and 15. So let's pray and then we will begin. Uh, Father, we do ask that you would bless this time. We want this to be purposeful for your kingdom, for your work, and Father, this is, uh, every Lord's Day is special. This one uh, does have a sense of, of being even more special in the life of our church as we send out some of our own, as we commission some of our own and commission our own church family. Father, as we uh, look forward to them going to us, sending and uh, father to what they are doing there. But father, we pray that every word that comes out here, Lord, that it would be useful for your purpose Lord, that you would bless it for your glory. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you for that. Bless our time together, Lord. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, it won't be too long that we will actually be in Romans 10, right? Because we are finding our way through the book of Romans and it won't be long till we get to Romans 10. So we are not going to be teaching on every truth in uh, these verses, verses 14 and 15. Uh, But we do want to give a a brief exposition of the text and, uh, and, and show the argument that Paul is making there. And then we're going to focus specifically on on those truths from verses 14 and 15. And so the intention here is to spend some time preaching the big truth here. And then we're going to use that to speak a charge of encouragement and commission to the Hiki family. Uh, but we as the church family here, that we are not off the hook because this is a commission and a charge to us as well, because they are still and will remain part of our family. And so uh, I'll read through the text, but we'll stop along the way and uh, And pause uh, to to make some comments as we teach through this. So in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 10 of Romans, Paul is going to say that his heart breaks for his countrymen. His heart is breaking for the Israelites because they do not believe the gospel of Christ. He says that they are indeed religious. They even have a zeal uh, because... um, because of their religiosity, if you will, but because they miss the gospel, because they have not placed their faith in Christ, they are left without salvation. Verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge for being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own they did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to anyone who believes and then notice in verse 5 he's going to say that Moses in the law said that if anyone were able to keep the law in its entirety if anyone could obey it to absolute perfection then Yeah. yeah they could live They could have eternal life. And it would be on their own righteousness. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Now, we have spent enough time in the book of Romans that we know what the book of Romans says. It has shown us, and your own heart confirms it, that you have not kept the law of God in its entirety. So if that's the case, what hope do we have? Well, the answer is what he's about to explain here. Again, a brief review of the things that he's already said, but he's adding some more truths to it this time and using it to introduce truths that he's going to teach in a moment. What hope do we have? The answer is what God has done in Jesus Christ. We can sum that message up with what? The gospel. The gospel is the glorious good news of what God has done in Christ. You cannot stand on your own righteousness. Why? Because you have none. God made a way, though, to make you righteous based on what Jesus has done on the cross to make atonement for sin. So in verses 6 through 8, then, he's going to take some quotes from the Old Testament to show that God has been pointing people to faith In the gospel of salvation, uh, by faith, not by your works, but salvation by faith, faith in Christ. Verse six through eight may sound a little confusing, but it's saying, if you think to yourself, who could reach up to the heaven and bring salvation down or who could reach to the bottom of the seas or the depths of the earth to go and try to find salvation? Who could find a way to make happen what we so desperately need? need the answer is only christ you can't ascend to heaven you can't travel to the abyss to find salvation christ has done this christ came from heaven christ went to the grave and now has made it so that on earth we can hear the message believe and be saved Verse six, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Now, how to believe, how to receive For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you have not turned to Christ and you don't know how to be saved, this is what you need to do. We're doers. We like to know what what do we do? I have to do something. Well... The doing here is given to you. Believe. Confess Christ as Lord. It's not of you. Believe. Confess Him as Lord and obey Him. And and Christian, this is glorious because take whatever pain, calamity, death that you fear the most and multiply that by a thousand and you would still not come to the agony that you were once heading towards because of your sin. If a man who runs into a a burning building to rescue children is a hero, then infinitely more the hero is Christ. If dying to save one person's life is an honorable death, then infinitely more honor does Christ possess. You have been saved by a glorious Savior, and you heard about Him in a glorious message, the message of the gospel, the gospel of glory. This message saved your life if you are indeed a believer. It is counted as the greatest compliment that can be possibly given for someone to say, he saved my life, she saved my life. We hear accounts of heroism and, and you know our hearts filled with admiration for such things. A mother who jumps in front of a mountain lion to save her children. I heard... Uh, there was a story not too long ago of a a father whose son fell into a a sewer, a deep sewer and uh, the father jumped in pushed his son up so the son could breathe and held him long enough there so the child could be saved but he drowned Uh, but he saved his son we hear these accounts and we have great regard for these accounts we give high honor to these People And however great the hurt it took to save the life, the more regard that we have for them. The, the woman who jumped in front of her children to save them from the lion. The father who jumped into the water to save his drowning son. The greater the pain, the, the more the honor. We count these acts as glorious. But if that is the case, the death that Jesus Christ died. He who is perfect, by the way he who chose to be nailed to the tree, he who suffered anguish and to receive on himself the full load of God's wrath. It was Jesus, the death that Jesus died, Jesus' act of salvation. This is more glorious, many thousands, many billions of times more glorious than any act of heroism that we've ever heard of on earth. Not only is it more glorious because of the amount of pain, and because of the amount of people, the vast number of people that he saved. But it's not simply that he saved mortal lives. He suffered and died to save souls. See, every child that may be saved by their parent, that child will eventually die. Saving a mortal life is indeed honorable, but saving a soul that is exceedingly honorable jesus's death to save the millions and millions who will occupy heaven when it's all said and done that is infinitely glorious so christian you have an infinitely glorious savior he's worthy of a regard and a glory that we are absolutely incapable of offering You heard about him through the message of the gospel. So the gospel is glorious because it tells you about your Savior of glory. And also in the admiration of God, in in the administration of God, he chose to make it that the message of the gospel actually carries supernatural power. In a mystery, God himself accompanies the word. The gospel is glorious, not only because it tells us about the glorious Savior, but it is glorious because God has made it supernaturally powerful to save. So now we look toward the passage, the verses that we are considering in verse 14 and 15. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? So he gave us all this all this stuff and how to be saved. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. There's a story that you may have heard of a missionary who stepped off the plane. He was returning to his home in America after a very long and very exhausting life of gospel work among the people group that he had dedicated decades of his life to. He was at retirement age. He was older. He decided to move back to America, live out the rest of his days doing ministry in his homeland. but as he was exiting the plane, he could hear cheers and applause from a crowd of people. You see, there was a celebrity that was aboard the same plane. There was a celebrity that was aboard that plane as well. And as the celebrity stepped off, the crowds were cheering. Now, the missionary, as he says, as he states it, had a, had a fleshly moment. We get these from time to time. A fleshly moment where we become bitter. And the Missionary had a bitter fleshly moment and he thought to himself, he thought I had given decades of my life, pouring out my life, giving my life, laboring for the gospel. And then there's this guy who comes home to cheers. Why is there no recognition when I come home? Now, he analyzed this thought, quickly recognized the sinfulness of this thought and began to put that thought to death. As the thought came to him, well, I'm not home yet, right? I'm not home yet. There will be reward for the work, but not yet. And that reception will far exceed the one that pales in comparison for the celebrity stepping off the plane. One of the great temptations that missionaries face is that the work they do is is regarded by the world so ungloriously. It's not just missionaries, right? It's the homemaking wife who pours out her life, raising children to no acclimates, the, the building of these children into an army of gospel soldiers regarded as lowly. It is in the wisdom of God that oftentimes the most useful workers, though, in the kingdom receive no accolades, at least here anyway. Their reward is coming and their reward will be glorious. But part of the test, part of what makes it hard to keep going is how the world misvalues everything, gets everything wrong the world does. Remember what Jesus said about those who wash feet. They will be great in the kingdom of God. If you want to be great in the kingdom to come, then serve in ways that are despised by the world. Serve in ways that are despised now. You know, when grandmas get together one of their favorite things to do is to brag on their grandchildren, right? It's what they do a one-up, right? We're going to one-up each other on who's got the greatest grandchildren. They enjoy showing pictures, talking about their successes. My grandson hit the winning home run, right? My grandson hit the winning home run. They were down by three bases, were loaded, hit a Grand Slam. He's the greatest kid on the planet, right? My granddaughter, she just got promoted. My grandchild is running for Senate and will probably win their race. There's Something to see about the fact that typically those positions that God in the Bible elevates the world despises. You know, nobody is winning Nobel Prizes for fostering children, but they should. Nobody is winning Nobel Prizes for adoption. Nobody's winning for uh, for, for, for for forsaking everything to go to the the lands to preach the gospel. And grandmas of the world don't brag about their grandchildren becoming missionaries. Instead, what do they do? They'll try to talk them out of it. Fortunately, though, I know a couple grandmas that would be thrilled with their children, grandchildren becoming missionaries. It should happen in the church, but it doesn't in the world. The world has its priorities and its treasures completely jacked. In their sinful delusion, they cannot see value according to truth. But the whole point of seeing what God esteems highly is because the glory you receive here from earthly ambitions is fleeting. But the glory you receive from God on the day of judgment, that lasts. In the end, glory of the earth will be forgotten and nobody's going to care. But the glory you receive from God... It's glory that will be had for eternity. So how will you be viewed and regarded through eternity depends on the glory that you receive from Him. the glory you receive from Him is based on our obedience, our service, our sacrifice, and our faithfulness here. What we do here matters. And what Romans 10, 14 through 15 preaches is that those who carry the gospel of glory of, of glory, their feet are beautiful. Their lips are bringing life. They are regarded highly by God and they will be rewarded greatly by God. Follow the logical argument. That he makes in in these verses. So, you know, he he explains in, in verses 9 through 13 how to be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus, confess him as Lord. Believe in your heart, confess him with your lips. Jesus is Lord. So, verse 14 asks How can someone call on the name of Jesus unless they believe in him? Paul is good at asking rhetorical questions. And the answer is, they can't. Right? They can't. For a soul to pray to God and say with their lips that Jesus is Lord, to say it in truth, they have to believe in Him. And the next question comes, how can someone believe in Jesus if they never heard of Him? Again, they can't. Souls must hear. They must have the Gospel brought to them. Next question, how will they hear unless someone preaches? And we have to understand that the word preaches here does not refer to someone standing in a pulpit necessarily. It does refer to that, but it refers to more than that. The same language is used in Acts when Philip simply explained the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch while he was sitting there in the chariot with him. So we don't want to get the wrong idea here that it's only talking about people who study for sermons and who stand in pulpits or who had a sermon handed to them yesterday, right? That's not what this is. This refers to every way the gospel is told and taught and explained and heralded and proclaimed and preached and written. How will they hear unless someone speaks, unless someone tells? I remember a professor at in seminary. He said, you could do you, you know, you can go in, quote unquote, live the gospel in front of you. But you got to get the gospel out of your face if people are going to be saved. It's got to come off your lips unless someone tells they can't hear. A lot of times this is where we stop. We're teaching on the need for missions and evangelism and we get to this point and we stop. People need to be go uh, to be told the gospel so go tell them. But you notice the text it goes it goes further. In verse 15 it asks how will they preach unless they are sent? Now, we'll come back to that here in just a bit because I'm going to address the church. This isn't just for the hikis. This is for the church as well because we have a job here. So it is how will they preach unless they are sent. But, So before we do that, we notice the next sentence. It's a quote from the Old Testament. Just it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Gospel work is beautiful work because it is the it it is the work that brings the glorious message of the glorious Savior who suffered and died to purchase with his blood a glorious salvation, salvation from a damning hell into a glorious inheritance in the glorious kingdom of heaven to come what the world despises God esteems to the hickies as you go with the gospel your feet are beautiful and your lips bring life now we must not misunderstand what the Bible is saying While the world devalues what God esteems, it's also the case that sometimes Christians in their quest to value gospel work undervalue good work that God created. So sometimes Christians might get the idea that their job at the factory or their business or whatever it is they do, that somehow that's not really honoring to God. That that, 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 Well, if I really love Jesus, maybe I would go into ministry or something like this, but that's not correct thinking. It's an incorrect way of looking at the world. At creation, God commissioned us with what we often call the creation mandate. The instruction to go forth and multiply, to subdue the earth, to build cities, to work with excellence, to till the ground, to grow the fruit, to flourish, to uh, create cultures, to raise families, to spread the rule of God through the sub-rule of man to all the earth. Work is good. Sure, we all recognize there are ways to make money on the earth that dishonor God. That's true. But it's also true that it's, it's not all work that is equally glorifying to God. Some are indeed higher than others. But get the idea out of your head that God is not pleased with working to provide for a family and serve people through the work that you do. God created the world in this way and it is good. And if we keep an attitude that he wants to do it for his glory, then we give him glory in our work, whatever that work is. The reason that we speak against obsession over work sometimes is because of the misuse of work, the misuse of money because of loving it, neglecting family, neglecting kingdom service and things like this. So work honors God. But while that is true, this is also true. There are some stations, there are some roles, there are some works which hold a position of great honor and great reward in the kingdom of God. And beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel to the ears that have never heard. Now, to be real here for a moment, Logan shared with us Josh and myself uh, the reaction of of many churches that uh, that he had reached out to that he had contacted and it's and it's quite disappointing and it does tell um, uh, the state of the church kind of at large in in the world Um, it's a disappointing reaction It's the same mindset we often see when we tell people about the uh, the good news ministry that's done at the school where we, we go into local school, we teach the Bible uh, with the gospel in the forefront. It's the center of what we do. And the reaction that is seen with that ministry as well is something like, well, that's nice. That's nice. It's nice of you to spend time with the kids. I'm sure they like that. I saw this myself in, uh, years ago in, in Vacation Bible School in, in, in the church that we were in. And, and we would go around town and try to get the kids and they would tell us, oh, well, that's nice. That's nice that you want to do this for our kids. Oh, how much does it cost? Well, it's free. Oh, that's nice. And now, you know, we look at something like that and a response like it. and you say, do you even believe the gospel? Do you have an understanding of the gospel? Do you see what's going on here? The words of life are being presented, and you want to say that that's nice. Is that how you would react if we were talking about saving children from human trafficking. Oh, that's nice. This is bigger than that, right? I mean, that's huge. Saving children from trafficking is huge. But this is saving people from eternal death. This is the gospel. Is this how you would react if you spoke to a group that ran into burning buildings to save people's lives as they're running out with, with the children out of the building that's on fire? Oh, that's nice the reaction that we see to gospel ministry is often that's nice but what they saying also is yeah it's nice but it's 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 not really necessary it's not really necessary i know Um, you know, Logan had told me whenever he was at at work, this is kind of the reaction he got when people, you know, as people were finding out what he was doing and, and they, they said things like, oh, well, that's, that's an adventure, you know, and all this kind of, well, yeah, it's, it's an adventure, but you know, you don't get it here, right? You don't get it. You don't walk away from everything just for this little, this isn't a bucket list item. That's not what this is about, right? And so it's, it's to say, well, that's nice, but and again it's saying that's not really necessary that's the world the american church has been overrun with universalism universalism being the belief that you know everybody's okay and and there's different versions and there's different varieties of this even in in churches that that we would normally classify as, as, as gospel-believing churches, but this is practically where they've gone, that it's just, oh, everybody's okay. And and sometimes it's just, it's kind of a pseudo-Christian, well, because Jesus died, now everybody's okay, or at least all the nice, decent, moral people, they're okay. Um, and this false gospel of universalism, or, or universalism light, if you will, has been plaguing America since the early 1800s, at least, and it produces a a kind of uh, respectable respectable religion that people can get along with right? It's something that it's that respectable religion that the world likes and because the world likes it when we regard everybody as just fine and we set out to do nice work of helping the poor caring for those physical felt needs which both of which are important and we should do but the world hates it Whenever we want to say you must repent and escape a devil's hell. See, the world likes it when we just want to say, well, we'll just care for the felt needs and we'll help the poor. Well, see, they can understand that. That makes sense to them. But they hate it whenever we make the center of our work calling for people to repent and be saved because they're facing hell. See, now that that's a disgusting religion to the world. So it's become very fashionable to settle into this kind of universalism light where on paper we say we believe the gospel, but when it really comes down to it, we just regard decent moral people as, well, they're fine. But here's the reality. The real reality is that all souls are facing the wrath of God for their sins. There are no righteous people. We've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And it's not just like muddy water that God says is coming to the souls that are you not united to Christ in salvation. Instead, it's hell. That's not a metaphor. It's real. The gospel declares not only the glory of what Jesus has done, but also why he came to do it. He came because we're desperate. We're dangling over the lake of fire from a thread that is nearly unraveled. And once we fall, that's it. That's eternity. Jesus came in order to offer his blood and substitute so that all who receive him are saved. You cannot consistently believe the gospel and, and, and it not then cause you to see the reality that all souls need this. It's not just nice. Oh, well, that family, they go to church. That's nice. It's not, it's not nice. Believing the gospel demands that we see the world as the gospel tells us. Believing the gospel demands that we see the need of the nations. To receive Christ. So believing the gospel demands participation in missions and evangelism to abandon missions and evangelism. It's either disobedience, it's laziness or it's failing to believe the gospel. And so Christians who share the gospel—they are engaged in gloriously honorable work. Martin Lloyd Jones famously said uh, to those who labor for the gospel: "If God has called you to preach His gospel, then why should we settle to be kings?" You know, you go back to the to the story of the the missionary and the and the celebrity getting off the plane. You know, and I'll just cite Tom Brady. It's. The worst. If he's getting off the plane and they're cheering for him, why would I settle to be that guy whenever I'm doing the highest work that I could possibly be doing? The missionary would say, why settle to be that guy? Why settle to be that celebrity? Why settle to be that CEO? Why settle to be anything less than this. The work which you are engaging in, this is the highest, the noblest work that you could put your hands to. If you were invited, if they invited Logan to be the President of the United States and, and Elizabeth is going to be the First Lady, they would have to step down from what they're doing to sit behind the desk in the Oval Office. Their work is higher work. To the Hikis, every servant of God has their own unique struggles. They have weaknesses, they have temptations. But here is a very common struggle. Right now, you're fired up, you believe these things, these truths, they burn like a fire in your bones. But let's get a decade down the road. Let's get 15 years down the road. You've been in the trenches all that time. You're wore down. Your spiritual vitality has been tested, and you labor in work that often goes very unappreciated. Maybe you haven't seen the number of converts that you wanted to see. Logan told us if you he were here Wednesday night, he was telling us about, you know, the, the there's just nobody knows Christians in these communities. In scotland nobody they they just don't there's no christians there and whenever they see one come to christ when they see two come to christ this is a great thing but you know it gets in our minds and i know i've i've had this too that you're going to go into this place and and you're going to bring the gospel and and it's just like hundreds of people are going to be saved and 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 but that may not happen it might we hope it does but maybe the number of converts don't come that you wanted Maybe you see that the world out there, the the evil, wicked world, they, they regard you as a joke. But you must remind yourself of these truths until your soul is renewed in strength. As you labor for the gospel, your feet are indeed beautiful and your tongue brings life. Your feet are beautiful, not because, though, that you are great, because you're not. You're dust. You are dust. And another great temptation of those who labor in the gospel is when there's been fruit that you might think highly of yourself. I'm so wonderful. Look at what I've done. All these people are born again and I've done such a great job. And it's it's easy to think highly of yourself when such things happen. But you're going to have to remind yourself a multitude of times your dust you're the creation of God. You're subservient to him and you are riddled with sin, completely dependent on his grace. But insofar as you serve and glorify him by making the gospel known again, your feet are beautiful and your tongue brings life. Remember these truths. Remember that His kingdom will one day conquer every kingdom. You're on the winning side. Even whenever you're made to feel like a a loser on earth, you're on the winning side. It is the work of feeding from the word, continuously doing the work of stacking wood on the fire of your faith. Stacking that on the fire of your joy, your hope, your worship, your zeal. And that's the fuel you need to keep going cling to the Bible because it is your life now to the church there is a charge here to us as well because regardless of how far away they attempt to get from us they are still of us and they are still our family now they have helped us they have helped us immensely And whenever I say that they've helped us, I am not referring to the fact that they have helped us as individuals. They've ministered to us as individuals, even though they have. I'm not talking about the ministry that they've done within the church and, and, and amongst their church family as a whole, although they have done that. I very much mean this whole process that they have gone through for this season of time. They have served us in this. Because we've been able to witness this. All believers who endure hardships or obey hard commands or do risky things for the sake of the gospel, they help all of us because we get to see it. We get to witness it firsthand. It forces us to come to a deeper devotion uh, ourselves as we witness and, and we're inspired by their devotion. You know, the Hikis have, have, have sold or given away uh, just about every earthly possession that they own. Uh, I made that statement last night and there was a box sitting in the back of the room with what I guessed to be maybe the last of their stuff. Now it's gone. So maybe it's all gone now. I don't know. I was hoping there was one thing in there. I was hoping to grab. But, um, but uh, there you go. Oh, it's at the door. Um, but they've, they've sold or given away just about everything that they have. They've given away Christmas presents and Father's Day gifts and Mother's Day cards, those things that you hang on to. All these things had to be parted with. Now, I want to be careful not to rob them of the rewards of secret service of what they've done, and the things that they've had to, to part with, but it's not secret whenever it's been done right in front of I mean, it's right there. We've seen it. We've watched this happen. They have helped us because the typical way of life is obsessing, especially in our culture, especially in the Western world here is obsessing over possessions it's obsessing over earthly castles that are before us and and the Hikis are doing that thing that makes the world kind of cock their head in that funny way and look at them funny and say hey, with that strange look, you know, you're leaving comfort, you're leaving land, you're leaving a good job and you're leaving it and you're taking this step down in, in comfort. And, and and it's just you're weird, the world says, right? This helps us. This helps us as Christians look at possessions the same way that they have been forced to look at them. They had, you know, this is what they've had to do. If they're going to do this, they've had to look at possessions in this way, that these possessions ultimately, they don't really matter. Why? Because they're going to burn. They ain't going to matter anyway. hundred years, none of that stuff is going to matter. Let's view our time here on this planet as they do, because we're only here for a short time. All of that stuff is just fuel for the fire, right? Everything is fuel for the fire except for what is done for Christ, except for what's done for Christ. So we are thankful for how they help us, how they serve Christ. And so we regard them highly. And then earlier, you know, I said that we would, uh, you know, we come back to the passage where it asks, how will they preach unless they are sent? The sending. That's your responsibility, church. That's the church's responsibility. Now, to take just a real quick tangent, I'm going to say, you know, the International Mission Board, which we support as a church, uh, that's, you know, the, the, could be regarded as the greatest missionary sending organization in the world because of the vast number of missionaries, the work that's done all over the world through the uh, International Mission Board. They are not going through the International Mission Board. They are going through 20 schemes. That's their agency. Okay. Now, here's the deal with the International Mission Board that we give money to, and we can pray for those missionaries, we don't know them. They're not part of this church family. This is a great privilege for us because we are involved with them. They are part of us. They are our family. Whenever we pray for them, when we talk to them, whenever we text them because of the technology that we have that they didn't have years ago, missionaries would go and you wouldn't see them for years. But now we can talk to them. We can see what their daily, what their weekly prayer needs are. And so this is a great privilege that we have to be able to do this as a church. And so every Christian is to be involved in the gospel work in some way. We are to tell the gospel in our daily lives. Some Christians have more gifts and those areas and others, and, and so there's more responsibility. But when it comes to the gospel going outside of our community, and, and whether it be out, into another state or across the ocean, whenever it goes, we are to tell it, and when it comes to it going out, we are all, every single one of us, are to be involved. There are goers and there are senders. You may be a goer someday, but right now your job is a sender. Those who stay are called to send and we want to sin well, and we want to do it with faithfulness. Sending involves all that it takes to be used of God, to move a lost soul to a follower of Christ, and then from a follower to a mature disciple. And then... A mature disciple to a laborer in the fields of the kingdom of God. All that it takes to raise up, to equip, to disciple, to train, to educate, teach all of it. And then send them out so they are equipped disciples able to serve usefully in the kingdom. That's sending. So the sending involves teaching our children, right? Teach the children here. It's a worthy thing to give our children to this. You know, we don't ever want to. It isn't to pray to God to use my children, please use my children for whatever you like, but don't take them to the mission field. I don't want them to go over there. No. Instead, we pray and we say, use my children, use my children in hard places that they would even give their lives if necessary for the gospel's sake. So this involves our children teaching them with the aim that they'll grow up and serve. And some will go out. But it also involves towards those who are ready, equipped, and willing to go with the gospel, are giving and supporting and praying and encouraging so that they can go. So the church is called to send. The church is called to send gospel workers, which means the church is to be a community of worship, of teaching, of equipping, serving, discipling, all of these things to the aim that we all work in the fields. If you are a Christian and you're not working in the field of harvest, then what are you doing? If you're not, I have to ask, do you believe the gospel? Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his fields raising up and sending out gospel workers this should be a regular thing that the church does raising up leaders church planners pastors evangelists missionaries along with fathers and mothers and singles who work jobs and 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 they stay here but they live gospel centered gospel telling lives all of that should be the regular work of the church the church is called we are called to send We support the work of the gospel by doing what we do here with excellence. There's a reason why when churches get that mindset of, well, we're just going to mow our grass. We're going to have a sermon and we're going to stare at the same people every week that that branch of the family tree of the church that it dies with them. We must never stop having the vision of raising up workers in order to send those workers out, investing the hundreds of hours that is involved to send people away who will not, the the benefit won't be directly here in the building, at the building and outside in the community here, but it's out there, out in the world. That's what we're called to do. We have to rejoice that Jesus' church is being built And we get the privilege to be useful in a place that many of us will probably never go or ever see. So for us to send, we must continue on here and press harder into greater worship, greater training, greater work and more useful labor. We must support those who go out. And again, the Hickies are our church family and they're going to remain our church family. Even, you know, they leave here, they go work in Scotland 10 years from now. They're still our family. And we have the great privilege and responsibility of being their home church supporters. Now, here's another struggle that missionaries often face sometimes. They go away and they're forgotten. They're forgotten. And it's not because it's malicious. It's not the church being malicious that they've forgotten. It's just the church gets on with the busyness of life and it's out of sight, out of mind. But we must not do that. We continue to hold them dear to us, remember them. Remember them, pray for them, continue to support them financially. When a decade's passed, when 15 years has passed, it would be easy to let our support dwindle, whether that be prayer support or financial support. It'd be easy to say, well, they're probably doing fine. Everything's established now. No, we must not do such things. Being useful in building the church means giving so that laborers can labor. How will they preach unless they are sent? They cannot. So we sent and we send faithfully. Jesus is building his church. And it is a humbling privilege to get to have usefulness in that work. Now, if you hear all these things and realize that you've never turned to Christ in order to be saved from your sins and the hell that you deserve. God invites you, invites you to come. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Confess Christ as Lord and believe. If you have any questions about that, if these are things in your mind that you've been pondering, I encourage you to come see me or Josh and talk to us about this. now i'm going to ask logan elizabeth the children to come up here with me we're going to i'm going to pray for them um yes we're going to pray for them obviously right now but um i am going to ask that you know I, i hope that you pray daily okay um I'm going to ask that you pray for them daily, not next week, not next month, but just forevermore. Okay, just pray for them daily. Have them as a part of your time. Stop. Uh, (laughs) Have them as a part of your time um, to uh, to to just lift them up daily. And uh, uh, that is that means the world to them. Uh, They need that. They can feel that they've got that. And um, and so we we support them in that way as well. So let's uh, let's pray for them for them now. Uh, Father, we do thank you. We praise you for the opportunity and the privilege it is, uh, Father, as the church to be able to be involved with them in this ministry, in this opportunity to be the senders, Father. And may this be. May this be that which is something that is in the forefront of our minds daily for years to come as the church, that it is our responsibility and it is absolutely necessary for us to do exactly what we're doing here. And Father, we pray that you would bless that immensely in the sending. And we thank you for it, Father, for the Hikis. Lord, I pray for them. I pray that, uh, Lord, you would prepare uh, their place now as they go. As a very quickly, just a couple weeks, Father, we'll be headed that way. And Father, we just pray that you would prepare that place now uh, that it would be ready, uh, that uh, Father, the, the, uh, the everything would be in place for them to all the little hiccups that they've seen along the way. Yes, there'll be difficult times. And, and, and we recognize that. But Father, as, as Logan has said to me so many times, you know, the Lord's got this under control and he's not worried about it. He, they know this. Things are going to be there will be difficulties. But well, Father, we pray as they um, power through those difficulties, Father, that you would just continue to be glorified in all of it, that you would use them just in a way that, uh, Father, is, is just that they never imagined. They never imagine the, the way that you're going to use them. And, Father, that they just um, wake up daily and just praise God, Father, that they just... Uh, fall on their faces and worship you because what you have done and what you're doing through them and using them the way that you are. Father, we thank you for this. And Father, we just pray that uh, as they go, that the feet that are beautiful to bring the good news, the lips that are bringing life to those that do not know you. Father, we thank you for their obedience to the task at hand, a task that will be difficult but a task that is beyond worth it. And Father, I pray that, um, that Lord, that as they look forward and and when the difficult times come, that they do realize that whenever they are called home, Father, that they will come to that reception of accolade. And uh, Father, we just pray that you would just use them in a mighty way We thank you for it. We praise you for it. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at I N D, Or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.